Downstairs Church, Finding Hope in the Grit of Addiction and Trauma Recovery is out now for pre-order. How does miraculous healing happen in the downstairs spaces of the recovery community? With a record of overdose fatalities and a rise in substance use, especially among women, many today are tragically living in the darkness of shame, often created by the consequences of addiction. The radical vulnerability required of addiction and mental health recovery when sharing stories of struggle in real ways can bring authentic transformation. Will you join me as I bring some of these messages up from the basement to seekers and believers, to all of you all upstairs? My book, Downstairs Church, explores this problem that we have today of addiction and trauma, and it highlights importantly the hope, the hope we need to succeed. Basement grace is a gift. It is a radical love reserved for the ragtag, the outcast, the lost. What if we could share this gift on Sundays, on all days, without question, expectation, or limitation? What if we could bring what we learn in the basement upstairs into the light? Downstairs Church, available for pre-order now. Welcome to Your Bright Recovery Podcast, where we celebrate your story of recovery and resilience. I'm your host, Caroline Byler. In honor of International Overdose Awareness Day, I've connected with a mom who's been personally touched by overdose loss. Now, if you don't know, August 31st is the world's annual campaign to end overdose. Remember without stigma those who have died and a time when we can all acknowledge the grief of the family and friends left behind. So many of us, too many of us know deeply that pain and hurt that comes from overdose loss. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Patty Vargas, and she's going to share a little bit more about her story. Patty is a fierce advocate, and part of her fire and motivation and passion comes from her own personal experience with overdose loss. We're going to hear a little bit more about that in a couple minutes. Patty has done a number of different things within the recovery community, including worked with Partnership to End Addiction, the Recovery Advocacy Project, and she's also currently an advisory committee member for the Addiction Recovery Communities of California, not to mention an ambassador with Shatterproof. Her book, Secret Scars and Heart-Shaped Jars, is coming out soon, and I am thrilled, honored, and humbled to be talking with Patty today. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Patty Vargas, I am so honored to be talking with you today and can't wait to hear a little bit more about your story. And we're going to jump right in. So first off, tell me a little bit about your family story and why you've been motivated the way that you have been to get involved in the recovery community and in recovery advocacy. Yeah, so um, boy. I was married, you know, typical, uh, normal family, right? You know, church going family. We were very involved in our church. Pretty much our life evolved around the church. We had three kids um, and just, you know, never expected that my life would go in the direction that it ultimately ended up, you know, going. Um, 
My first husband and I divorced in 95. It was very sudden. He just uh, decided he was done and walked away. So I was left with three kids that were pretty freaked out and shell-shocked and didn't know what had happened. I didn't know what had happened, you know, so um, trying to pick up the pieces and they all in their own way coped, right? Um, my middle son, Joel, um, managed to cope with, with drugs. That was, that was his drugs and, and all kinds of rebellion and, and uh, uh, defiant behavior and that type of thing. So um, I didn't know anything really about drug addiction. The, the only stuff I knew about drug addiction was, was when we were in the church, we had worked with a lot of people on the street. So I knew like the very um, roughest, hardest, saddest stories about drug addiction. I didn't know anything about middle-class white America drug addiction. And none of my friends would cop to the fact that, oh yeah, my kid's using drugs too, or my, my parent is, or my, my uncle or my brother or whatever. So I was really floundering, um, trying to do this, you know, on my own. And over the years, I think, you know, I didn't recognize that, that Joel's issues were that serious. I kind of thought it's just, it's just teenage rebellion. He'll outgrow it. He didn't outgrow it. And it just got worse and worse and worse over the years. And um, in the meantime, I had remarried um, and, and the kid's stepdad was very involved with them, very invested in them doing well and so forth. So um, together we began to kind of carry this and, and try to figure out what to do. But again, you don't know what you don't know. And unfortunately, it's so hard to find out what you do need to know. So by the time we really realized Joel had a serious issue, um, he was way down the rabbit hole. Yeah, no, that's great. I know there's so much in terms of those layers of kind of past experiences and what you went through as an affected family member mm -hmm. and of walking through that with Joel and also not knowing really at the time how much he was struggling can I ask, because I know there are so many parents and I've heard from lots of parents out there saying, Hey, my teenage daughter is struggling. My son's struggling. What, you know, what do I do? What resources are out there? Were, was there anything at that time that was helpful for you in terms of resources and support? Did you know where to look? Did you connect in any type of way with support? Nope, nothing. I mean, um, when we, when we finally decided that he needed to go to rehab, I mean, this is, this was probably um, gosh, 10 years into his, his serious drug use, you know, but he didn't always live with us. He was in and out of the house, you know, so you, you don't see it happening, you know, so much, but so when we finally decided he needed to go to rehab, it was like Google, you know, rehab or drug rehab or, or what have you. And, and that was, um, you know, probably 2008, 2009, somewhere like that. So of course, the ones that pop up are the ones that are very expensive, and they have a lot of money, and they can pay for search engine optimization. So they're the ones that rise up to the top of the list. And as a parent who's freaked out about what's happening here, you know, he had, he had come home from a, a, like a five day meth vendor, went to bed, and didn't get up. And so he's laying in bed out 
And I'm going up trying to, I'm checking his pulse. I'm trying to see if he's breathing. So I'm terrified. I finally call this place. And it happened to be one of those places that will send an interventionist. The minute they say yes, we'll bundle them up and take them to, you know, to our program. And so all of that sounded great since I didn't know what to do. Um, it was hugely expensive, hugely expensive. And so in the middle of trying to figure out how am I going to pay for this, but I've got to save his life. So we'll figure that out, you know, on the back end. So um, called them, uh, assembled all the family, you know, got his brother to come down from Northern California. We were in San Diego at the time, uh, got his sister there, uh, got a couple of his best friends and the guy came in, we did the intervention and Joel was away to his first rehab. Mm -hmm. We call it the gold-plated rehab. <laughs> yeah. And I've, there are so many of those out there. Mm -hmm. um, looking back now, though, and I know with your work, like with the Recovery Advocacy Project, Shatterproof, some of these other organizations, have you seen that shift? And maybe it's just a matter of, you know, now you have this knowledge you didn't have before. But for parents who are struggling now, I guess, what would you tell them first step, what, what should they do if their child is struggling? I do think it's changing. And I think that what's driven that is parents that just finally get pissed off that there's no help to be found. So we become advocates. I know that's, that's what happened with, with after Joel died, I, I was like, something's got to change here. And I joined a group of very active, you know, parents who were saying, we're going to make a difference here. Um, so I do think that that's changing, but I think it's a ground roots, uh, uh, a grassroots groundswell, you know, if you will, of, of parents saying, and, and not just parents, but loved ones, other family members that say, this is what we have to do. We have to make resources available. People shouldn't be in such a desperate mindset like I was that you'll grab at anything, you know, that you, you don't know what to do. So, the the work that I do with partnership to end addiction, you know, as a parent coach, the parents that I coach, the family members that I coach, they all say, oh, my God, what would I do without this resource? And and I always say, I know exactly what you would do without this resource. You would do what I did, you know, mm -hmm. which is is fear driven and uh, hunt and pack, you know, just trying to find help. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's a beautiful thing that despite, you know, the, the horrible loss. And I just want to say, I'm so sorry. And I know you probably hear that a lot. Um, I've worked in the field for quite some time before I became a mother, but now that I'm a mother, I feel like, you know, I can't imagine that loss, but my heart breaks even more for women like you who've experienced it. Uh, and it is so beautiful. And I believe so courageous and brave when you can step out of that experience of loss. I mean, still obviously in it, I'm sure it doesn't go away, but saying, Hey, I'm going to redeem this. I'm not okay with someone else experiencing this. I'm going to do what I can honoring, you know, Joel's memory to be able to say, Hey, like, what are some things that I can do to get involved in changing this mm -hmm. for someone else? Mm -hmm. it, it is truly beautiful. And another question I had kind of related to that support piece, if the unimaginable does happen, like it happened to your family, what would you tell those parents? What type of support would you encourage them to, to reach out for and to find? I think it's really important to find 
some kind of support, find what works for you. So when Joel died, um, lots of folks rallied around and they said, oh, try this group. Oh, try that group. Oh, you need to go here. This really helped me and or go over to this one. And and they all have their value. You know, there, there's compassionate friends and there's grasp and there's um you know, others that are faith-based and so forth. And, and I tried them all. And, you know, because I, I really felt um, when you're, when you're walking this with your loved one, you feel very isolated because the disease wants you to think you're isolated. It doesn't want you to find a tribe of people to help you and support you. Plus we isolate ourselves from shame and stigma and so forth. But so it was the same thing. I just felt like I can't do this alone. I'm going to lose my mind. You know, I will, I will lose my mind if I try to do this alone. So I tried all these various avenues. Um, and then finally, the one that helped me the most, it was bizarre, but the one that helped me the most was actually through my health care provider. And it was a group that met once a week for almost two hours. And it was people who had lost somebody. So maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was a child, maybe it was um, a miscarriage, maybe it was a grandparent, you know, whatever your grief is, it's your grief. And it was very anonymous. I mean, we all knew each other's names, but we walked into this room, we sat there for 90 minutes, two hours, whatever. We, it was a facilitated discussion. And some of the most amazing bonding happened in that room. And then you would walk away and you didn't see those people again until the next week when you came back together. And there was something in that, that it was, it was a grief shared, you know, the, the pain was dissipated among, you know, all of us that were in that room. Mm -hmm. And that made a huge difference to me again, might not work for somebody else. You know, I I've got other, you know, friends who have really benefited from some of those other groups. And so it's whatever, works, but keep looking until you find the thing that works, that helps you. Um, I was, I went through a very dark period because when, when Joel died, his sister was with him. She was an active addiction with him. And so now I've not only lost Joel, but I'm afraid I'm going to lose her too. You know, so every day you're, you're walking around, you're like you're walking dead, uh, expecting the other shoe to drop. And so it was very, very, very dark. I was very depressed, went through some uh, really deep times of feeling like I was losing my mind and, and I'm going to lose this battle um, for my life. And being in that grief group was, was a real anchor for me. Um, so find something that works for you. It's encouraging and hopeful to hear that there are options out there. And it sounds like though there are a lot of different options and different things might work, you know, depending on what you need or who you connect with, feels like there's kind of this current of or theme that it's a shared experience that reaching out for support means grieving and learning how to do that with other people that somehow, you know, and I feel like the similar to the mystery of recovery, when you come together in a circle, in a group, even if you don't know each other, sharing that, mm -hmm. that shared mm -hmm. suffering together, something healing happens in that space. And it sounds yeah. very similar, mm -hmm. uh, similar to that. Yeah. The other thing I was wondering about, you mentioned early on that 
you were really active in the church. Can I ask, and this is a really personal question, but can I ask what happened to your faith during that time? It got stronger. Um, I have a, uh, I have a very personal relationship with the Lord. And by that, I mean, um, it's not real religious. You know, I, I talk to him constantly. I, uh, rail at him and I know that that's totally all right. You know, that he's not afraid of that. Um, but there were times that I would just sit in my garden and just, what the hell? I mean, really, how am I supposed to live with this? How do I do this? You've got to help me somehow. And sometimes the the only thing was just help me, help me. And that was it. And I knew exactly who I was talking to. So it was very, very strong. It was very, very personal and very deep. That's beautiful. Thank you for, for sharing that. And speaking of sharing beautiful things, you have a book that is, is it out? Is it up for pre-order? Kind of where are things at with it? And I love the title Secrets, Scars, and Heart-Shaped Jars. Can you tell us a little bit more about your book? Yeah. So the title um, is very, uh, that's the journey. I mean, kind of in a nutshell, basically, you know, is, is how we keep those secrets. You know, we're only as sick as our secrets, right? They tell us that in the room. So, um, keeping it quiet, not wanting other people to know, being afraid to, to expose, not, not so much that you're ashamed of your child. I was never, ever ashamed of Joel. I was ashamed of me. Like what Mm -hmm. failure did I do that caused this, you know, because as a mom, everything evolves around you, you know, you're responsible Mm -hmm. for everything. So that was the secrets part. And then the scars comes from just being in the battle, you know, walking that that journey, um, not even just the loss, but, but walking through that it's a, you're, you're on a battleground, you're in a war, you're the walking wounded, you know, going through all of that. And then the heart shaped jars, um, we took Joel's ashes and we put them in little heart shaped jars. And when we dedicated his garden, everybody had one of those jars and they, they were able to share about him and spill out his ashes there. We uh, spilled another one off of the Pacific beach pier because he used to perform in Pacific beach a lot with his band. And, uh, and then we all have one that we just keep, but it's a, it's a heart shaped jar. So, yeah. So the book is, uh, is ready for pre-order right now. And you can find that on my website. Um, supposedly, it's supposed to be ready by the end of the month because I really want it ready in term in time for recovery month in September. So cover's been approved. It's off to the printer. Um, fingers crossed we've got it by September 1st. But if you pre-order now, I'll send an autographed copy of it to you. Okay, wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm definitely doing that. And I'll include links into the description of the podcast, how you can find Patty's book. I can't thank you enough for talking today. I feel like I think we've connected on social media. Mm-hmm. It's always just such an incredible experience to connect more personally. I know Zoom is, is not, you know, face to face having coffee, but in a sense, I yeah. feel that. And right. um, I just feel your love for Joel and for your daughter. And just, I'm so 
amazed. And, you know, I feel just grateful to God that he's placed this in your heart to do this and to share your story, because I know so many other people are going to benefit from, from it. Yeah. So thank you. You know, when, um, I think you asked how, how did I get into this basically? And when Joel died, I mean, I have this really strong driving thing of being of service, you know, somehow I have to be of service in some, some way. And it's kind of been in all the work that I do and so forth is, is somehow serving a a need. So that was what I like, what do I do with this? I got to do something. And it, it just, it became really frenetic. I mean, I was searching for this and searching for that and, and how do I plug in here and how, and it was just insanity. I mean, it was just craziness. And finally just said, I got, I got to stop. I need to rest. I need to grieve. I need to, you know, just, just breathe it in and let it go kind of thing. So I I just sat really quiet for um, a few months and worked on healing myself, worked on not dying and um, worked on, on strengthening the relationship with my daughter while she was still, you know, in active addiction, putting the tools into play that I was beginning to learn about communication, you know, communicating instead of condemning and opening those lines with her. And then, you know, I, I tell people, don't go looking for your mission. It will find you just, just let it come. And I started uh, probably first with Shatterproof was probably the first thing I got involved with and just making friends there and talking to other folks and learning more about advocacy and then started working with the recovery advocacy project. It was brand new, you know, getting in on the ground floor and trying to do something in California and through uh, RAP was what really fueled my, my passion for advocacy at the legislative level. I'm very political. So that really resonated with me. And then through RAP was how I found partnership to end addiction. And once I found that there were resources for families, I was like, sign me up. How do I get that word out to people? Because it's what I desperately needed, you know, so my husband and I both went through the craft training to learn how to be parent coaches. And we started taking on cases. And that's incredibly rewarding to talk to a mom or a dad or a grandparent or a a sibling that is saying, how do I, how do I help? What do I do? You know, and, Mm -hmm. and even coming from a place of, well, we, we lost one of our battles, and we won another one, you know, is, is kind of, um, refreshing to them, I guess, you know, everybody that coaches through partnership has been there, done that. We've all, we've all walked that so we can walk with them through, through that journey. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, I've got some great free resources and tools to guide your recovery journey at brightstoryshine.com.